Shoyoroku case 21. Union sweeps the ground. Introduction. Having shed illusion and enlightenment, having cut off holy and ordinary, although there are not so many things, setting up host and guest and distinguishing noble and mean is special house. It's not that there is no giving jobs or an assessment of ability, but how do you understand siblings with the same breath, adjoining branches? The case. As Yunyan was sweep, sweeping the ground, Dao said, too busy. Yunyan said, you should know the one who is not busy. Dao said, if so, then there is a second moon. Yunnan held up the broom and asked, which moon is that? Dao then let the matter rest. Later on, Zhuangxia commented on this and said, this is precisely the second moon. And Yunmen said, when the butler sees the maid, he takes care. The verse. Borrowing temporarily, Yunyan comprehends the gateway. Realizing the function as it is appropriate, Dao then rests. The snake handler on elephant bone crag, the doings of childhood seem shameful when you're old. So I often ask, when I'm here, I ask the, one of the jishas to dim the lights for Teisho. There's something very special and at the same time intimidating about darkness. And it's actually very fitting with our practice. There's something very unifying and very terrifying at the same time. And to feel how unifying it is, we have to work with how terrifying it feels at first. So we chanted, you chanted, this Dharma rarely met with. Now we see it, now we hear it. When the lights are off, now we see it, now we hear it. And then when the lights are on, it may be a bit easier to hear and see it. So it is wonderful to finally be back here. Right? After two years of not being able to practice here together, this incredible place. And this Shin marks our long-awaited return to Dai Bosatsu as we resume a tradition of holding our fall and spring Sashins up here in this incredible place.
And on, on behalf of our ERG Sangha, I would like to express our deep gratitude and appreciation to everyone who have been working tirelessly to maintain this monastery since the beginning of the pandemic. And of course, to Shingaroshi for steady leadership and tireless devotion to the practice. Sometimes when we don't see people as regularly, we can forget. And we can forget to appreciate and we take it for granted. And that's a shame, taking for granted, especially when we are so fortunate to have this opportunity. And we're also fortunate to have a special connection with the Zen Study Society and being able to, to bring those two traditions together and practice, find ways to practice seamlessly as one body and one mind. This by itself is incredibly unique opportunity. The Soto and the Rinzai traditions, two branches, two unique branches on one ancient tree, one ancient tree that will continue to thrive as long as we work together, learn from each other and care for the practice, care for it, so this great giant tree can give shade to future generations. You know, taking for granted, we forget that we are a link. We are an alive link in this endless chain. And it is precious because the link can be broken. And the way we do things will carry on in the same way we do things. So if we cut corners, that's what we will pass on. If we loosen up, that's what we're passing on. If we keep it together, if we tighten up, if we pay attention, if we train ourselves in paying attention, that's what we will pass on to future generations. So keep that in mind, please. So we're here in the midst of this incredible Sishin. After all the planning, the preparations, trepidations, and now that all that is in the rearview mirror, where does the mind go? Now, being a city and suburb dwellers, we have lots of responsibilities to care for on a daily basis. And taking a few days off requires all kinds of arrangements, logistical maneuverings whether it's getting someone to be with the kids, watch the dog, feed the cat, water the plants, tying up loose ends at work, stop the mail, and on and on and on. And the mind was busy getting ready for something that will happen later. 
partially engaged with taking care of things and partially vested in futurizing about how will it be. Constructing conceptual images. Am I ready for this? Will I be able to see it for all these long hours? How will I be with not talking? Will I have the same experience as the last session? Will everything be okay at home or work while I'm away? And the mind, of course, is great at conjuring up mental scenarios and then obsessing over them. Obsessing over them, then reacting to its own creations. Very much like Shantideva said, magicians fall in love with the mirage woman they themselves create. Maybe it's a love and hate relationship. It's definitely sticky. So before coming up here, the mind was occupied with all kinds of thoughts. And now that we are here, the mind is also occupied with all kinds of thoughts. Right? It's about how things are somewhere else or how things will be later or how things were earlier. It's just the way it operates. And so the question is, do we recognize our habitual thinking patterns now that we are here for that purpose, to observe? Are we recognizing the way it works? Are we becoming more aware of how dualities are born and how we drift away and become so quickly misaligned with reality. We're so misaligned that often we don't even know what it means to be in alignment. It's something we read about, we hear about, sounds good. What does it even mean to be in alignment? Because the thought of being in alignment is already misaligned. And the tendency of the mind is to constantly shift between various kinds of dualities, right? Such as before and after, likes and dislikes, self and other, in and out, acceptance, rejection, success, failure. And as we get entangled in this vortex of thoughts, we often find ourselves ruminating endlessly, going along with the whims of our volatile mind. Helplessly going along. So during a session, we have an incredible opportunity to silently bear witness to the movement of mind, study its habitual patterns, and learn to not follow them. So we can slowly become less reactive, less identified with random thoughts, less triggered. So we can train the mind, use it well, rather than be left to its mercy. And this is a primary aspect of our practice. Of course, here in this session, this opportunity, we are fortunate to be surrounded by optimal conditions that can greatly support and encourage us 
to go deeply into this kind of special training. Special training. And it's interesting. What are we doing here, right? We're doing what we do every day. Right? We're doing it. We're just, you know, we're sitting down, we're getting up, walking around, eating, going to the bathroom, going to sleep, waking up. And we call that special training. Right? What's the difference? The difference is that we come in with the intention to raise the level of our awareness and attention to everything, to be deliberate, to practice what we take for granted. To practice what we take for granted. And we are training the mind. And keep also in mind that when we are not tightening up, we are loosening up. There's no in-between, there's no cruising. Because if we're not paying attention, we become very easy food for habitual patterns. In the commentary of the Dhammapada, Eknath Eswaran writes, Control of the mind is the most challenging and the most rewarding of human tasks. And the Buddha does not underestimate its difficulties. The mind, he suggests, has a depth far greater than the deepest sea. And all the way down, it churns with emotional tempests of which we are barely conscious but which virtually dictate thoughts and behavior. According to the Buddha, we don't need any hell or afterlife to look for the devil. The mind itself, quick, fickle, and exceedingly difficult to focus, is the realm of Mara. In its depth lie untapped source of great power, desires and drives of such magnitude that the mind is rarely under any real control. It simply moves about as it likes. To train these forces to obey the conscious will, the Buddha says, is the only way to, free, to be free from the mind's race-old urges and proddings. But this kind of training, Mahatma Gandhi once said, requires the patience of somebody trying to empty the sea with a teacup. And patience, right? We, we don't, maybe we don't talk often enough about how important it is in our practice. Or maybe we can ask, how can I pay attention if I am not patient? Can I? Is it even possible? Then he says, the method of training the mind is meditation. One way to visualize what happens in meditation is to think of the raw stuff of consciousness as clay shaped on the potter's wheel of the mind. 
the shapes this clay has taken, strong desires, fears, attitudes, and aspirations, every habitual way of thinking determines a person's behavior. Meditation, zazen, slowly allows access to a level of awareness where these rigid shapes can be softened and made pliable again until finally consciousness becomes like an amorphous clay. Then the mind has no habits. It rests in its native state, calm, clear, adaptable, and endlessly responsive. Action, then, is no longer a matter of stimulus and response. It becomes unconditioned, spontaneous, and free. This achievement is exceedingly difficult, however, because the mind churns with distracting thoughts that prevents us from going deep enough in meditation to make necessary changes. However, once one tries, however, sorry, however one tries to concentrate, the mind has subtle ways of wandering away to some desire or activity over which we have little conscious control. One who has truly learned to meditate, the Buddha says, can aim thoughts with the accuracy and power of a skilled archer. Instead of thoughts going in all directions, each one finds its mark. These martial associations are appropriate for meditation is a battle, and this error is the weapon of wisdom. to aim the thoughts with an accuracy and power of a skilled archer. Now, this is what we are working with during jihatsu. This is what we're talking about. That's what it requires. That's what we're training to do. How do we walk with the jihatsu set? Well, some hold it with two hands, with care, with reverence. Some, well, one hand will do. The other one I can swing. Why not? Right? I don't need two hands for that. Then what happens to the mind? And then we arrive before the table. We're standing there. Where does the mind go? Where's the accuracy? Are we even aiming? Or is this just random? I don't know. I'm just standing here. I might as well think about something. Right? What else am I going to do? And then you hear the signal and you place the, the, meal, the, the, the balls on the table and you sit down. Pull up a cushion from under the table and sit down. Are you aiming at that? Or is it scattered? You know, it's not just quaint tradition that we have to put up with. 
It's a method of training. It's a method of training that we can either use or take for granted and neglect it. And then, of course, sitting down and taking those plastic things, putting them on a hard wood, lacquered. What the hell? I need some napkin here, right? Some buffer. Why? So I don't have to pay so much attention. Right? Because if I have some placemat, I don't have to worry about it. I can just put it down. And that's that. But you don't get that. You can complain. There's no box out the door to put your complaints. So it's like walk, you know, going on a hike. There's a sign. Whatever, you do, whatever garbage you bring, take it out. Same here. Whatever is going on in the head, take it with you. Don't leave it here. All of it, you know, there are so many aspects of precious training. And, and the connection that is made here with, with martial application is, is very appropriate. It's very appropriate here because it takes this kind of focus. In martial arts, training Students are expected to step into, onto the mat with a sense of acute urgency. Acute urgency. So whatever was, was, whatever will be, will be. I can't afford to not be fully here. A matter of life and death. But well, we, we don't live that way, right? Because we think, well, statistically speaking, I'm going to stick around for a long, lot longer, for a while longer. But every moment is a matter of life and death. Because we don't know, right, when the day comes. But more than that, more than that, when we are not paying attention, how alive are we? We have to ask. Right? We are partially there. We are partially engaged. Because we got stuff to worry about. And it seems to be more important than what we're doing. It seems to be more important than what we're doing. So acute urgency to stay aware of our surroundings and then on the mat, practicing martial arts, other practitioners, while maintaining a supple mind and relaxed body. And, and acute urgency and a supple mind sounds like two opposing states. Right? How, how do you find those two descriptions on the same sentence? It's either this or that. Right? It seems like it cannot coexist. But in reality, they work very well together since the sense of urgency has the power 
to pull the attention away from the tight grip of our habitual thinking patterns, which is the source of our rigidity and fear. So when the attention is freed from the repetitive and or random thoughts, it can be applied to the situation appropriately. Whatever the situation is, even if the situation is separating the nesting balls and putting them one in each place, in its place, each one in its place. That's the task. Ah, this is minor task. I'm not in danger, right? And it is a matter of training ourselves to be at a state of open readiness. Open readiness that can be expressed as an actionable right effort, or it can be described as actionable right effort. Right effort. Right effort means not too tight, not too loose. And that's a way of practicing it, right? So placing this plastic ball on the table with just the right amount of effort. And if we do that, it'll barely make a sound. We have to look for it. There is a more quiet way, a more graceful way to do this. But we have to look for it. We're not looking for it. We're not going to find it. We're not going to deepen enough to do anything different because it's going to just be the same every time, every meal. I know what I'm doing. I got the hang of it. That's not the way to practice. That's having an assumption that we are done practicing. And as I've said many times, over and over again, nobody gets to graduate this. There is no such a day of, that we call graduation day. We are practicing. As long as we're breathing, we're practicing. When you start breathing, you are actually free of practice. How's that? Until then, you're not. Then you have permission. So actionable right effort at this state is the commentary to this con, not to this con, sorry, the commentary to the Tamapada reads, the mind has no habits. It rests in its native state, calm, clear, adaptable, and endlessly responsive. Action then has, is no longer a matter of stimulus and response. It becomes unconditioned, spontaneous, and free. In other words, we're alive, fully alive. And in Aikido training, we occasionally train, we practice dealing with three or five attackers at a time. And it happens so fast that all thoughts are, are very quickly deemed useless since the mind cannot keep up with, this, with that speed. So the only way to to make it work, to make it work well, is to be at a state of seamless integration where the mind, the breath, the body, and the surroundings are all moving in unison. 
And when it is done, practitioners often don't know exactly what happened. They cannot describe it as if they were not there. As if we're not there. And, and in fact, the less we are there, the less you are there as the operator, the better it flows. As in the saying, skillful actions have no, has no tracks. There are no tracks. Who is doing what? Who is doing what, right? Because if there's just one thing, one constant flow, motion, dynamic and seamless, there's nothing else going on. Now imagine living our lives this way. Right? This is what practice is about, what training is about. But this is what training is aiming towards. Living in a state of seamless integration. Not two, not one. In this koan, we encounter Yunyan and Dao, who studied together under Yao Shan during the 8th century in China. And they both succeeded, ended up succeeding to Yao Shan. And uh, a note on that, Yunyan first studied under Pai Chang, but did not have any realization experience during that time. So after his teacher died, he went traveling to search for another teacher until he encountered Yao Shan and became his disciple and eventually successor. And Yunyan is also directly related to our lineage since Dongshan, the founder of the Soto school, was his Dharma heir. And Dao and Yunyan were uh, apparently inseparable Dharma brothers who used to constantly push each other to deepen their understanding. And so they took every opportunity to engage in Dharma dialogues. So in this case, they happen to be engaged in Samu, like what we did this morning. Sweeping the ground. So Yunyan was assigned to sweeping. And so as, as Yunyan was sweeping the ground, Dao walked by, looked at him and said, too busy. Partially teasing him, partially revolving the Dharma. Nunyan said, well, you should know the one who is not busy. You brought it up. You must know. Sweeping the ground. Busy or not busy. I remember some years ago, we had a student who was also an Aikido student, a Zen and Aikido student, and one day he was sweeping the mat well, I happened to be there to do some office work at the dojo. At some point, he stopped sweeping the, ground, the, the mat and he asked, how should I sweep the mat with body and mind integrated? So I looked at him and I just said, sweep the mat. You stop to sweep the mat, then what? 
then there is a question about sweeping. We step out of the stream and ask how to unite with the stream. And then we become too busy, confused, lost. And it's the question often that creates the confusion. And it's the confusion that creates the sense of duality, which we then try to merge. So take Zokin, right? Mopping the floor. Zokin, in and of itself, is a complete action that offers a portal into integrated experience when we give ourselves fully to it. When we give ourselves to it fully. If, however, there is the slightest gap between the mind and the mop, we're instantly divided. The attention becomes scattered. And we waste energy. Too busy. Too busy thinking about it. Too busy working. In fact, it becomes more tiring. It's interesting how when we are unified, we waste much less energy. When we are scattered, the brain is a big organ. It takes a lot of energy. Think about that, right? It takes a lot of energy. And if our attention is there, a big chunk of our attention is there, of course, Zokin will be a lot more tiring. So the slightest gap Right? As Dogen said in Fukanzazegi, if there is the slightest discrepancy, the way is as distant as heaven from earth. If the least like or dislike arise, the mind is lost in confusion. And the advice is always simple. Whatever you do, don't do anything else. Wherever you are, do not be anywhere else. And then, the next stage, do nothing at all, ever. Ever. Do nothing at all. As in the words of one ancient master, active all day, I do nothing. Wu Wei. Wu Wei. So to fully be, to fully embrace, to fully recognize, to not go anywhere else, to not do anything else. There's a great story about Wang Po meeting Pai Chang. So <clears throat> Wang Po, as you know, Rinzai's teacher, right? when Wang Po came to visit Pai Chang first time, meeting for the first time, and Wang Po was a big guy, 
6'5", they say. Or I say 6'5", but he was a tall guy. Pai Chang looked at him and said, Magnificent, clearly outstanding. Why did you come for? What did you come for? Why are you here? And Huang Po said, Magnificent, clearly outstanding, not for anything else. Magnificent, clearly outstanding, not for anything else. Why are you mopping the floor? Not for any other reason or not for anything else. Not to clean the floor. That's too busy. Way too busy. Not because the floor is dirty. Too much. Now, how rare is that? That we, we, we can be at a, at a state of, right? How challenging it is actually to be at a state of totally being devoted to things that the mind does not find interesting. That's the challenge because if the mind finds it interesting, well, you know, you can sit, watch TV for three hours, right? I'm fully engaged. I'm not thinking about anything else right now. So we have the ability, right? It's just, yeah. It does what it does. So why are you here at Sashin? Not for any other reason. So is there ever something else? It seems like that, but is there a second moon? Or what gives rise, what gives birth to a gap? So Yunyan said, you should know the one who is not busy. And Tao said, if so, there is a second moon. And what is the relationship between the one who is busy and the one who is not busy? What is the great merger in Zen? And Yunyan held up the broom and said, which moon is this? You can pick up the, the mop and ask, which broom is that? You know, the, the, the mind, the thinking mind operates in a binary manner and it leaves us with the impression, the impression that we need to categorize, sort out, conclude, and choose. While all along, reality itself is seamless, continuous. Which means everything is everything at all times. So if you hold up, if I hold up these cuts and ask, which moon is this? How would you categorize it? What would you say? What is this? Is it a thing? Is it not a thing? Which realm does it belong to? Do we know? Does it matter? Once Tao and Qian Yuan went to someone's house to make a condolence call and Yuan hit the coffin and said, alive or dead? And Wu looked at him and said, 
I won't say alive. I won't say dead. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to be an accomplice. Help you chop it up. So where does this question come from? And is Wu avoiding the question or is he expressing a state of being that, is, that simply transcends all dualities by not falling to either categories? Wu is not fortifying our obsession with mental formations and he is pointing us to take the responsibility to see it for ourselves on our own and find freedom from the tight grip of our thoughts, of our mind. And as long as we put our trust solely, solely in the thinking mind, there's always a lingering sense that what we encounter or what we do has to fall into a chosen and pre-prescribed category. If I am busy, then I'm not at leisure. If I'm here, I'm not there. If I'm on this mountain, I'm not in the city. It is either this or that. And it is true that things are different. It is true that things are the same. It is true that we don't need to choose. We chanted this morning, within light there is darkness, but do not take it as darkness. Within darkness there is light, but do not see it as light. Light and darkness are a pair like the foot behind and the foot in front in walking. How do you choose between the right and the left? When you place your right foot down, you can forget about the left because it is part of that step. Then when you place your left foot down, you can forget about the right because it is embodied. When it is embodied, we can forget. When it's not, we harass ourselves. It doesn't change anything. We just harass ourselves. The matter Yunyan and Dao are talking about goes much deeper than the idea of being in the moment or doing one thing at a time. Of course, it is inherently there. But it goes much deeper than that. Or it goes, we should say it goes much deeper than what we have done with that in our society. The introduction says, having shed illusion and enlightenment, having cut off holy and ordinary, although there are not so many things, setting up host and, host and guest and distinguishing noble mean is a special house. So realizing that this shore is the other shore and clarifying that all things are of the same nature are vital aspects of the maturation process in Zen training. Yet, as Dogen would say, we must buy a new pair of sandals, get back on the road and further refine our understanding. 
And the introduction is referring to the subtlety of guest and host that Yunya and Dao expressed through their short exchange. Now, traditionally in Zen, the host is a reference to the realm of the absolute. And the guest is a reference to the realm of the relative. And so when Yunyan says, you should know the one who is not busy, he's asking his Dharma brother if he is aware of the host. Where is the darkness within the light? Where is the formless within the form? If we see them as separated, then we create a gap, a duality. That's why Tao says, if so, then there is a second moon. And the footnote to that says, only two? There are hundreds, thousands, and myriads. When we step out of the stream, life appears divided. Appears endless number of moons. Tao and Union are not of course, negating the fact that we encounter many different things. But they are asking us to examine how differences create a sense of fragmented reality in our mind. Of course, they're not negating anything. Union lived in a hermitage for a while, and he said that he used to tame a few lions that would come to his hut occasionally, he would feed them. So one day, his teacher, Yao Shan, said to him, I've heard that you can tame lions. Is that so? Yunyan said, yes. Yao Shan, Yao Shan said, how many can you tame? Yunyan said, six. Yao Shan said, I can tame the two, them too. And Yunyan said, how many does the master tame? Yao Shan said, one. Yunyan said, one is six, six is one. One is six, six is one. Because if we hold on to many, there's a problem. If we hold on to one, there's a problem. When one is six, six is one, we're free. In the busyness of our everyday life, we run around from one activity to another. We create a sense of multiple segments that pull our attention in many directions. Of course, the mind gets frazzled, frantic. We become way too busy, waste lots of energy, and opportunities are lost because we don't even see the opportunity. But if we understand the meaning of one is six, six is one, then the mind can be naturally tamed. And the one who is not busy will manifest as the eternal background of our lives. We naturally lose the interest to be anywhere else, to do anything else, to judge, to discriminate, to make a fuss. 
then of course embracing this reality with all the odd creatures that occupy it becomes a continued expression of a total and complete embrace. Dynamic embrace. Encountering many things and being different beings doesn't mean we're not the same. In the commentary, it says, Good people, as you eat, boil tea, sow and sweep, you should recognize the one who is not busy. Then you will realize the union of mundane reality and enlightened reality. In the Dongshan progression, this is called simultaneous inclusion. Naturally not wasting any time. Naturally not wasting any energy too. Simultaneous inclusion. And this is referring to Dongshan's five ranks, which I'm going to talk a little bit about tomorrow, in tomorrow's Taisho. And it's referring to a deep level of spiritual maturity where one is thoroughly an idiot who fully resides in the meeting point between doing and non-doing, between being and non-being, which is the special house the introduction brings up. And this is not only the, the meaning of the term sishin, right? The one mind. It is a state of being we need to keep returning to and further cultivate with each breath and each activity, whether in zazen, kinhin, eating, cleaning, taking a shower, chanting. Each instance is a gateway and a meeting point between heaven and earth. Each Instance is an opportunity. Of course, if we don't judge it. Because if we judge it, it may or may not. It may or may not. Buddhism is called the middle way. And it's not just find a compromise, right? It's not, well, don't go too far on either side. You're good to go, right? That's not what it means. Because in the middle, in that point where heaven and earth meet, that's the point we're working with. This is what we are working to discover, not discover, acknowledge recognize in ourselves. Where is it? In you. Tanjin. Hara. Right? The point, the center point of the body. So from that point, it goes up in an open triangle to receive the heaven. And then from that point, it goes down opposite triangle to be grounded in the earth. And the center point between there and here, between holy and mundane, 
between the essential and everyday life is found here in you, in us. So when we say move from the center, that's what we mean. The center doesn't judge. Right? It won't chop it up. It is unified. So we did some boken today, right? And I talked a little bit about how to grab the boken and how to unify the entire body in the movement. So it's not disjointed movement of the arms going up and down and then the legs are moving in one way and then the timing is off between the right leg, the, the left leg, the arms coming down. It feels like that. Well, it is like that. This is why it's training. It's called training. But what we're training to do is constantly unify so we can become more in touch with that, with the core of our being, which is already the meeting point between heaven and earth. So we're not creating it. We're just realizing, recognizing. And it's not just when doing boken, of course, sweeping the ground, raking the leaves, mopping the floor. It's there. It's the same center. Try tomorrow morning. When you go back to your assignment, some assignment, try it. Try not to think. Oh, I'm going to take this back because you're going to think. We have no choice about that. Work on moving attention away from thoughts completely to what you're doing and unify every ounce of your being, both arms, legs, body, totally engaged with that movement, with that activity. Don't give it partial. Give it all. Why not hold it with two hands? Why not? Also, the other thing is, and I'm glad I remember that, walking up and down the hallways. We, we, you know, we did mention shashu, right? Shashu is doing, putting the hands by the solar plexus in front, right? It's an expression of unity. It is composed. Walk with that composure. Right? Swinging the arms up and down. Yes, of course, we have. There is a purpose for that. But it's not needed when you walk up and down the hallways. And walking up and down the hallway is not a break from practice. We're here to practice unity. Well, why not practice all the time? So, but eight years later, after this dialogue took place, two other teachers commented on the dialogue. And Zhuangxia was one of them, said, this is precisely the second moon. And Yunmen said, when the butler sees the maid, he takes care. So raising the question of the one who is busy and the one who is not busy, and discussing the merging of absolute and relative, this is already what we refer to in Zen the secondary. Asking about it is falling into the secondary. Asking about enlightenment 
is moving away from enlightenment. Union and Tao are, in this case, as the verse says, the butler and the maid, not the verse, uh, Yunmen, the butler and the maid who know each other well from serving in the same house and are engaged in this discussion which is not needed to be voiced, but it is needed to be heard by us. So it's not needed to be voiced. They didn't need to talk about it. But we need to hear it. Because we are the ones who are too busy creating conceptual second, third, fourth million moons in our untamed minds. And when the mind is not tamed, the words and actions that follow will perpetuate divisiveness, discrimination, and all the rest. And in the verse, there is a line that says, the, doing of, the doings of childhood seem shameful when you're old. When the realization deepens and your Zen practice is embodied and it becomes merged with your everyday life, everyday activities, you may look back at the way you used to talk about Zen and it will look somewhat odd, disconnected. Why the hell did I say this? Why did I try to explain? So how do we understand the relationship between guest and host? So I'll finish with two stories that do a really good job illustrating that. So Yunyan and Dao, as I was saying, would always polish each other's understanding. In one occasion, Yunyan was making tea. And Dao asked him, who are you making tea for? And Yunyan said, there is someone who wants it. Yunyan said, why don't you let him make it for himself? Yunyan said, well, fortunately, I'm here to do it. Playful Dharma. And then another story about Dongshan, uh, and Dongshan was Yunyan's uh, successor. Once when Dongshan was, was ill, one of the monks came to bring him some tea and asked, teacher, you're ill, but is there anyone who does not get ill? Dongshan said, there is. The monk then asked, does the one who is not ill looks af look after you? And Dongshan said, I have the opportunity to look after him. The monk said, how is it when you look after him? And Dongshan said, then I don't see that he has any illness. Then I don't see that he has any illness. That is total merging. Being sick being ill, being in bed, and knowing that this is expression of eternity. This ailing body, this weak, fragile body, and it is fragile, 
is nothing but an expression of eternity. Because how else will eternity show up? How will it walk around? How will it sit down to have some tea? Now it is that which sits down and opens up the jihatsu set. So please, look after it. Because who else will?